We had Evangelist Rich Tozer that first year, and of course Rick made it uh, that first year as well. And and I was hoping we'd have just like 50 men total. But that early bird session, we had over 50 men. And my pastor uh, talks about this. He was sitting in the back, and Brother Getch was preaching. And and I, I I was thinking it too. God's taken over. This isn't our meeting. This is His meeting. And uh, and certainly He has done uh, some great things in that men's meeting. He's worked on us. But uh, one of the prayers that I pray is that God will do a life-changing work in every session that we have. I am not interested in going through the motions. I'm not interested in adding another thing to churches or pastors' calendars. Uh, you know, that we've got a lot of conferences and things they can go to. And, and so I want to see God work in a powerful way and, and uh, not just go through the motions. And God has answered that request from the very first time, the first uh, year that we did it, till even this last year. We had uh, two breakout sessions, and I usually stay with the preachers, with the pastors. I do not tell the speakers of what to preach. And we had uh, Evangelist Dwight Smith. He came in and he spoke on 1 Kings 18 and 19 about how Elijah uh, faced discouragement. And that as preachers, we all will face discouragement and, uh, and just the reality of that. And then that we don't, don't need to stay there. We need to be encouraged and then uh, he left, and then Brother Getch comes in. He preaches on 1 Kings 17 and 18 and talks about Elijah's courage and how we need to have courage. And it was just hand in hand. Uh, when, you know, and every one of us in that room, we knew it was God that was speaking to us. And uh, one pastor came up to me, and he says, Tim, that was me. That, that, those two sessions were for me. That's why I came. Because I've been so discouraged and defeated, and I, I ought not to be. And, and, uh, and he says that God just really used that in my life. And so God has done some amazing things in that men's meeting. If you're able to make it, it's November 1st and 2nd this year. It's the first Friday and Saturday of uh, November. And uh, we put a lot of prayer into it and ask God to just, just take it over. It's his meeting. He can do whatever he wants with that meeting. And uh, the Lord certainly has grown me through it all. And it's uh, definitely a price to pay. I think of uh, you guys probably uh, can relate to this too. Brother Getch said one time, he says, I bet when Brother Schmidt uh, gets close to this meeting, he's like, why am I doing this? Uh, you know, why am I going through this? Then you get in the meeting, wow, this is great. And then you get done with the meeting, why did I do this? Uh, you know, it's just it's so much work and it's a war. Uh, there's a fight and, and so on. And, but it definitely is worth it. And I've seen God do some amazing things uh, throughout the years at that men's meeting every year. I'll uh, think back and go through like answers to prayer and blessings. And I think I've got about 115 on my list right now of answers to prayer and blessings that God did in our in last year's men's meeting. And so uh, again, encourage you, November 1st and 2nd, uh, Friday, Saturday, uh, the two-minute warning there in Sacramento, Faith Baptist Tabernacle, North Highland specifically. Uh, we're going to go turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 is where we're going to go tonight. When revival hits your heart and mind, eternity will become so real to us. We will be consumed in eternity. I think of, of uh, Jonathan Edwards that said, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. We live uh, in, in uh, just a, uh, so much of the here and now. I think of Leonard Ravenhill that said, the devil has thrown the dust of time into our eyes and has blinded us to eternity. And when revival comes to your heart and mind, eternity will be so real to us. And, uh, and so often we don't think about eternity. And, and we find here in Matthew chapter 28, uh, here is uh, Jesus' last commission 
uh, for us, uh, uh, for all of us. It says in verse 16, we'll start there, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pause right now to once again confess my absolute dependency upon you. Lord, I am desperate for you tonight. Lord, I I don't have it. Lord, it's all in you. And I pray that you would uh, help me in delivering uh, this message. Help me to say everything that needs to be said and refrain from anything that doesn't need to be said. And Lord, as uh, we're all gathered here for this service tonight, I I pray that once again you'd open up our hearts, that you'd give us hearts of tenderness. Lord, I thank you for the many answers to prayer that you've done this week and how you have worked in our hearts. And I ask, Lord, that you would arrest our attention with eternity's values. Lord, I pray that when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, that this service tonight would be gold, silver, and precious stone. I pray, Lord, that you would stir us once again towards giving the gospel to others and that many souls would would come to that saving knowledge of you by what you have done in our hearts even tonight. Lord, may we be able to rejoice uh, there in heaven uh, of all the different things, how you've used the people of Grace Baptist Church in Fernley to impact eternity. Lord, I pray that you would get all the praise and all the glory because you are worthy of it all. Thank you for saving our souls. Thank you for rescuing our eternity. Thank you that I'll never know the torments of the lake of fire. Thank you that I have the promise of eternal life because of Christ. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for all that we have in you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Proper following of Christ is going to give you uh, that passion, that burden for souls, to see others come to know Christ as our Savior. Now, most people do not witness. We don't even have the passion to witness. And, uh, and, and, and yet, uh, uh, I believe it's because there's much opposition to the gospel. And you see that uh, in your own life. We see that the opposition around the world to the gospel of Christ. Uh, a missionary wrote one time, he said, missionaries mean it when they tell you what we really need is your prayers. We can do without money. Paul sometimes made tents, but we cannot do without your prayers. The gospel destitute areas see us as criminal combatants, not as friends. We're up against reigning principalities, religious powers, radical politicians, and reoccurring persecution. We get attacked from the front, from the rear, from the sides, and yes, even from within. Missionaries aren't special. There's nothing uh, about our foreign geography that makes us super sanctified or sin-proof. And I can attest to that, uh, that uh, we're the missionaries, evangelists, pastors, uh, we are not super sanctified or sin-proof. We're tempted to die like Peter, pout like Elijah, get cynical like Jonah, turn back like John Mark. We deal with depression and loneliness, pain, threats, fears, dangers, and frustrations. Our women and children get injured in the fray. Our new converts get attacked worse than we do. So please pray. When you pray, sure, pray for our safety, but don't exert all your time there. Jesus made it clear that mission work is exceedingly unsafe. So we're past that hump. We love to avoid pain, but not 
at the expense of boldness. Christ must be lifted up at any cost. So pour over our prayers and reply once in a while. And when you pray, pray the prayer that Paul requested, that the word of the Lord would spread quickly and be glorified. That's the crux of the matter. That's the reason we came. Oh, there are uh, so much opposition uh, to the gospel around the world. Uh, the missionaries you support, they face that opposition. Of course, we have opposition to the gospel here in America. I was thinking uh, earlier today of when uh, the uh, just uh, several years ago, the seal of the city of Los Angeles has a Catholic mission upon that seal, and there's a cross on top of that Catholic mission. It's a uh, real mission. It's uh, the San Gabriel mission is what's pictured after. And, uh, and on the top of that, that uh, mission is just this small, tiny little cross. And uh, the ACLU, several years ago, uh, sued uh, Los Angeles and said, you need to take off that cross. Uh, separation of church and state, it's against the Constitution. By the way, separation of church and state is not in the Constitution. Uh, but uh, one, of, uh, one of my preacher friends was talking to a, a politician, and he was saying, you know, yep, separation of church and state's in the Constitution. He says, all right, you show me where it's at. And uh, about two weeks later, that uh, politician says, I can't find it. He says, that's because it's not there. Uh, and uh, you can look that up uh, uh, later on. But but uh, they were able to take off the cross, that little tiny picture of the cross on the mission. Now, the mission is still there. But don't have the cross up there. Don't have anything that represents Jesus Christ. Oh, it's okay if you take God's name in vain. It's okay if, if politicians uh, make fun of Jesus Christ. But don't you dare pray in Jesus' name. Don't you dare pray and use Jesus Christ's name uh, in that way. There's so much opposition that we have even here in America. Uh, there are times when I've worked uh, some secular jobs, and I've never done this, and, and uh, I'm not uh, bold by nature, but I thought, you know, maybe at some point when I'm hammering and I hit the wrong nail, uh, that I say, oh, my Buddha, uh, you know, or oh, my Muhammad, you know, do something like that to see how my coworkers would respond. And I never did that, but, but uh, you know, they, they can take, uh, you know, this. It's, and when, when I was a little kid, I even thought that, like, why do they always take Jesus Christ's name in vain? Why don't they take Buddha's name in vain? Why don't they take Muhammad's name in vain? Because they're not God. <laughs> Jesus Christ is God. And, uh, and so we have opposition to the gospel here in America. We have opposition to the gospel in our own ministries. Uh, I, I was with Evangelist Rich Tozer doing my internship with him. And, and uh, we uh, were in Hawaii. Uh, I got a lot of flack for that when I, went, when I came back from college. Oh, you did your evangelist internship in Hawaii. I'm like, yeah, I did. It was a lot of fun. But... But uh, we were in two different camps. In one camp, there was this one kid uh, that I was really praying for. And, uh, and he was, uh, I believe his name was Jacob. And, and uh, he was just kind of a backwards kid. We just uh, didn't uh, get along with anybody. He was a Catholic kid. He was a neighbor of one of the pastors that uh, uh, brought some other uh, kids, uh, teens, to that uh, camp. And I remember one night, um, it was beautiful every day. But one night, uh, uh, Rich says, hey, let's bring the service outside tonight. So we got all the chairs out, got the sound system, got the keyboard out, everything, and, and, uh, and everything was going great. I mean, it was just a beautiful, calm night uh, there in Hawaii. And then Rich starts preaching, and it was once when he got to the gospel, all of a sudden, this big gust of wind just comes over, throw, uh, uh, blows his notes all over the place, uh, the lectern blows down, the, the speakers blow down, I mean, the whole service is interrupted and the wind is just blowing so strong and I'm going around trying to pick up Brother Rich's notes and 
And uh, finally, we, we kind of get it all back together, and Rich says, let's pray. And he began to pray one of these prayers. You know, God, I pray that you would bind the evil one right now. I pray that right now you would stop the wind. And right when he prayed that, the wind just stopped. <laughs> and uh, now, after he got done praying, the kids, they had, <laughs> the, the, the tension was there. And, uh, and so I think that night, uh, every one of us at the camp were dealing with at least one or two uh, that uh, were coming, because there's many that were lost in that camp. And, and it was just a powerful night. Uh, but there was tremendous opposition. I even remember that kid, Jacob, that, that uh, he, didn't, he didn't even budge during that time. I knew he was under conviction. That night I woke up at 2 a.m. and just real quick, and I said, God, I pray that you'd make his pillow a rock. I pray that you'd show him the reality of, of the lake of fire, of hell, and, uh, and that he needs Jesus Christ alone to save him from his sins, to save him from hell. And uh, I pray that he would not sleep until he comes that saving knowledge of you. It was so quick, and I went right back to sleep. The next morning, we were in line for breakfast, and he was right behind me. And I said, hey, Jacob, how'd you sleep? And he says, not very well. And I said, oh, really? And he says, yeah. He says, uh, I, I, I just kept thinking. I said, what were you thinking about? And he says, hell. And uh, I said, oh, really? And, and uh, he says, yeah, I couldn't sleep. And he says, I wrestled with it for several hours. He says, finally, he says, I asked Jesus Christ to save me last night. And, uh, and I'm just like, wow, that's God. You know, you have that opposition. And, and again, it's, uh, uh, when it comes to opposition, sometimes I, I get concerned when there is no opposition. Uh, because that means God is at work. God wants to do some things. And uh, I, I don't know if I've said it this week. I, I assume that I have. But if I haven't, uh, I would rather have the devil oppose me than God oppose me. I'd rather have that. Now, it's not fun going through opposition. I remember being in in uh, Hawaii a couple of years ago, and, and we were um, uh, went to Shark's Cove, and one of the locals says, you got to be careful, we're snorkeling, he says, you got to be careful because the tides uh, uh, can be unstable, and, and so I'm not a, gr- a very good swimmer, Megan's a better swimmer than I am, but uh, uh, we get in, and I didn't notice that everybody was getting out, uh, and, we, I, and eventually she didn't stay in, she went to another spot, and I'm the only one in this area, and I got caught in this current, and I couldn't get out of it. Now, I wasn't panicking, but I was praying. And I'm like, Lord, this is too strong for me. I cannot handle it. You've got to help me get through this. There are people around, so I didn't feel in great danger. But, uh, but uh, I was able to get out of that. And, you know, sometimes you get in that opposition, and it is way bigger than you. <laughs> but it's not bigger than God. But I'd rather have the devil oppose me than God oppose me. How does God oppose? Pride. Uh, and so we need to humble ourselves. But we see opposition to the gospel in our ministries. Uh, you see it uh, even in your own personal life. You start witnessing to somebody, the phone rings, uh, the, the dog starts barking, the kids start acting up. I mean, there's just so much opposition when the gospel comes. And so, you know what happens to us? We get discouraged and we quit. And the devil's like, that's it. That's what I wanted you to do. Just stop doing it. Yeah, it's, it's just not going to work. And you know, you support missionaries across the world but you're on the mission field right now. California is a mission field. Nevada is a mission field. If somebody says, if I run into somebody, hey, I'm thinking about going to Nevada to start a church, what do you think, Brother Schmidt? Go. <laughs> God's called you, go. It's a mission field. You're on the mission field. There's people that, that you're going to be able to reach that I'm not going to be able to reach. There are people that I'm going to be able to reach and other my travels that you're not going to be able to reach. And that when we, when we start going about the gospel, there's just so much opposition. 
there's no greater message, though. There's nothing more, uh, more important message to tell this world. What America needs, the answer, we have it. It's Christ. They need Jesus Christ. Souls for Jesus must be our battle cry. And so, uh, here these, uh, these 11 disciples, they go into Galilee. Jesus called them, uh, 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 called them uh, in, a, in a mountain, and now uh, He's going to leave them in that same mountain. He says, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped. I wish it just, st- it just stayed right there, period. Because <laughs> that's the proper response. You see Jesus Christ, you worship. But this is after the resurrection, but it says, but some doubted. And certainly, we can be in one of those two. We can have go forward in faith, or we can uh, live in fear and doubt. And, uh, of course, we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. And uh, for Romans 1.17, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the just shall live by faith. Some had faith, and some did not. They doubted. They had the sin of unbelief. And, you, uh, and here they have this, as we talked about earlier uh, in the week, the sin of unbelief. You look here, that uh, we can have the sin of unbelief, in God's power. Verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. You see, there's no one more powerful than Him. Uh, The word power means to have all the right of absolute authority and all the resources of absolute power. Uh, Here's a God that is more powerful than the President of the United States, more powerful than any nation, more powerful than any enemy that you and I will face. Uh, I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna use this. Uh, I've been debating about it this week. But uh, several years ago, when I was just a youngin, uh, I was a teenager, and I was going to a place. Uh, maybe you've been to a, to one of these before. It's called Walmart. And uh, I was going to Walmart and with a friend of mine, Jason. And uh, Jason uh, is a big football fan. My favorite uh, sport is baseball, but uh, but uh, we uh, we go into Walmart. I'm I think I'm about 15, 16 years old. And at Walmart there is a table, and draped over this table is a San Francisco 49ers jersey, 77 Paris. It's Bubba Paris. Bubba Paris played offensive lineman with uh, Joe Montana and Jerry Rice, and they won the different Super Bowls. And and there's a crowd of like I don't know 20, 30 people gathered around, and they're all trying to you know get his autograph, but you have to pay for whatever it is that that uh, he's going to sign. And and so uh, I'm, you know, I walk past him, and the Holy Spirit just, just speaks to my heart. Tell me you need to go witness to Bob Paris, and I'm like, that's not the Lord. Uh, and so I walked on, and then we pass by again. Now God's ringing my bell. Tim, you need to go witness to Bob Paris. And in my mind, I'm just like, man, that guy's huge. Uh, and I tell my friend Jason. Now Jason uh, was six foot four, I think, at the time, and and uh, and so uh, he was a great basketball player. And he, uh, I said, Jason, I said, God wants me to witness to Bubba Paris. He says, Tim, you're crazy. Don't you see how big he is? And I said, I know. I said, but God wants me to witness to him. Now, Jason's very friendly and outgoing. I was shy and quiet. He says, all right, Tim. He says, you hand him the track and I'll do the talk. I'm like, hey, that sounds great. So I'm in the back of this crowd of 20 to 30 people. And I've got a baseball jacket on, the Royals. And, uh, and he sees me in the crowd and he says, hey, he's like, are you a Chiefs fan? And uh, the 49ers, the Chiefs, my two favorite teams. And I said, well, yes, sir, I am. He said, come on over here. So I go to, to shake his hand, and his hand absolutely engulfed my hand. 
I have met thousands of people, but I've never met anybody like Bubba Paris. And so he's got my right hand. With my left hand, I have my track of the church. And, and I said, uh, I said, Bubba, I said, uh, I want to invite you to my church, but most important things, if you die today, you go to heaven. And in this uh, piece of paper, it tells you how you can know for sure that if you die today, you go to heaven. And uh, he says, oh. He says, well, I'm an ordained minister. And he stands up. Now, he was seated there. He stands up. Bubba Paris is six foot nine. And uh, he stands up, and he says, I'm going to drive these Kansas City demons out of you. I didn't know I had Kansas City demons in me. He takes me, and he puts me in a headlock. He sees my friend Jason. Jason's got a Miami Dolphins sweatshirt on. He's extremely confident that Dan Marino's the best quarterback ever, and we would argue about it. I don't know why I argued about it. Joe Montana is. And, uh, and so he says, you a Dolphins fan? For the first time in my life, I saw Jason hesitate. He's like, oh, and he grabs Jason and gra- puts him in a headlock. Now, I used to think Jason was big, but he was nothing compared to Bubba. So he's got us both in that headlock, and all I feel is muscle. That's all I feel. I'm thinking if he flexes, he's going to pop my head like a pimple, and uh, my life has been given for the gospel. It's over. And uh, that's what I thought. And, and I was so scared until I began to think about God. If God made Bubba Paris, and Bubba Paris is this strong, how much stronger is God? How much more powerful is God? When I got my eyes on the greatness and the power of God, all those fears just dissipated. And uh, Bubba prayed that I wouldn't be a Chiefs fan. He prayed that, that uh, my friend Jason wouldn't be a Dolphins fan. And, and that was about it. And uh, many, many years ago, I, uh, I was thinking, what is Bubba Paris up to now? And he is a motivational speaker. And I do believe he knows Christ as Savior and things. And, and, uh, and so uh, I went to this place. Maybe you've never been to one of these before, but it's called Kmart. Uh, they're not open anymore. But uh, my, my wife and I, we go into Kmart, and there's Bubba Paris. And he's sitting down, and the, the jersey draped over the table. Now there's two people there. It's a mother and daughter. And he's got a 49ers hat, and they're Packer fans. And, he's, and I go up there, you know, I'm just listening in. He says, he says, this is God's team. He says, I can prove it to you. He says, SF. He says, what does that stand for? Saved and forgiven. He says, the reason why we're saved and forgiven is because we're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Someday we're going to walk on streets of gold. We'll be forever protected from the evil one and we'll be made white as snow. He says, you see that? The 49ers, that's, that's God's team. He says, the Raiders, with their skull, that's the devil's team. And, uh, and so he's kind of witnessing to this, this uh, mother and daughter and and, uh, and then I go up to him, and I just I told him the story that I just told you. And he says, you got a track on you now? And I said, no, sir, I don't. He slams on the table. He says, what? You're telling me you're a, a gospel preacher, and you don't have a track on you? And I said, I've got one of the cards. He's like, go out there and get it. So I went out in the car, got the track, came back in, and, and I said, Bubba, I said, you got to go. You, you got to go through the whole thing. I've got to buy the hats. This is a $20 illustration, by the way. Uh, and so he uh, he goes through the whole thing with me again and, and uh, signs it to Tim. God bless Bubba Paris, world champ, 49ers. And, and uh, he he said, uh, have you ever spoken to kids? I said, yeah. And he says, kids terrify me. And I'm like, what? I said, you're Bubba Paris. And we had a great time talking. And and, uh, and so he uh, eventually ended the conversation. And he says, let me get a bag for you. So he stands up. And uh, gets a bag, comes back, and he says, by the way, he says, are you still a Chiefs fan? I said, yes, sir, I am. And he grabs me one more time, and he puts me in that headlock, and he looks down at me, and he says, from what I remember, you're a lot skinnier back then. (laughs) Which was true. 
I did not have the courage to say this. Maybe if I had Rick with me, I'd have the courage to say this. But I thought to myself, yeah, and you were a lot stronger. Because uh, I didn't feel all the muscle that I felt all those days before. And that reminded me of another thing of the Lord is that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His power never wanes. He's the same God that, that, uh, that, that Moses prayed to, that, that part of the Red Sea. He's the same God that, uh, that David prayed to to defeat uh, Goliath. He's the same God in the Old Testament as He is in the New, as the one that we serve today. All power is given. When I go to the Capitol, sometimes I do get fearful, and then I, I've got to put my eyes back on the Lord. You know, he, he is so much more powerful than any of these politicians. I'm an ambassador for Christ. There ought to be some boldness in me if I've got somebody behind me that has all power. And so we have the, the unbelief, the sin of unbelief that God is not all-powerful. Uh, we uh, uh, There's so much there, but uh, we live such defeated, discouraged lives because we, don't, we doubt the omnipotence of God. And uh, He is all-powerful. He can do the impossible. But then the unbelief and the command. He says in verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We are to go, Mark 16, 15. And He said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The world needs the gospel of Christ. We're given a command to go. When I served in our first ministry after college, uh, our ministry that the uh, there was a time in our church where uh, just people were not were not concerned for uh, for the lost. Uh, we can give to missions, and I'm praying for our church. I'm like, Lord, I don't just want to be a mission-supporting church. I want to be uh, a, miss, a mission supplier. <laughs> you know, I want to see God call missionaries out of our church. Uh, I want to see God call evangelists and pastors out of our own church and, and not just go through the motions and just kind of put a little salve to our conscience because we've given some to missions, but yet we haven't opened our own mouth. And uh, our church was uh, at that time was, was good at that. And we weren't going. We didn't have a heart. And my dad, uh, he's a godly man, and he could tell I was pretty discouraged. And he says, Tim, he says, out of anybody in this church, he says, you're the one that needs to be out trying to, to, to reach the lost. He says, Tim, God's called you to be an evangelist. You need to set the temperature on this. But he says, Tim, even if you didn't have the call to be an evangelist, just the fact that Christ saved you. Tim, just you know, you're a Christian. You have a command to go. And he was right. And uh, that stirred my heart. And, uh, and that helped stir the hearts of others as we started going out and got to see several people come to a, to, to a saving knowledge of Christ. Oh, we have a command. You know, there's times, and I, I'm just, you know, I'm an evangelist. That's part of my name. But there are times I don't feel like giving the gospel. I don't have boldness to give the gospel. I don't, it just doesn't seem like it. Again, we can't live by feeling. We ought to live by faith. And uh, but even if you don't feel like giving the gospel, you have a command. Even if you don't feel like it, open your mouth. <laughs> One of my missionary friends, Jed Duarte, he says, I pray that God would give me 15 seconds of boldness every day. God, just give me 15 seconds of boldness just to open my mouth. Because once when you open your mouth, then God can do the rest. And, and the, best, the best way to witness uh, is to give your own testimony. Megan gave her testimony tonight. There are three parts of a person's testimony. One, what you were before Christ. She told us about that. You know, she's a people pleaser. She was a liar. She was a manipulator. She told us that she was a sinner. But then how she came to know Christ as her Savior. And then what Christ means to her now. Uh, there's no more doubts. Christ gives purpose. Christ gives hope. 
And so you have those three parts where you say, you know what, I was a sinner. I need of a Savior. And then Christ came. And how Christ has given me life. He's given me purpose. He's given me hope. Whatever, you know, you, you, uh, whatever Christ has done in your life. You have a testimony. My pastor met Ronald Reagan uh, many years ago when he wrote a track about that, that uh, encounter. And I've given out that track, but uh, it's not my favorite track to give out. You know why? Because I didn't meet Ronald Reagan. But I've watched him dozens of times give out that track. He's the best one to give it because he's the one who met Ronald Reagan. It's his testimony. You're the best one to give your testimony. Someone needs to hear how you came to know Christ as your Savior. And so we have this command. It's not just an option. No, it's a command for us to go. Anything less than this is disobedience. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's the motivation for me and most of my life. is just, Lord, okay, I love you. I'm going to go. <laughs> That's my motivation. And so uh, let that be your motivation. But, but uh, there's such a need for the gospel. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. Billy Graham wrote many years ago, he said, when I preach, no matter where I am in the world, I can always count on five areas of human need that afflict all people. The first I see is emptiness. Man cries for something, but never quite finds it till he finds God. He doesn't know what he's searching for. He doesn't know why there's this emptiness in his heart. When I was in Alaska, uh, speaking at a camp, it was the very first camp I'd ever had done. Uh, we uh, had a, it was just a rough week, and I realized uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I, remember, I realized that I was going through opposition on Wednesday, and uh, Monday uh, we were there in the middle of nowhere. One of my evangelist friends says, "Tim, it's the most rustic camp you'll ever go to." He was right, and uh, my uh, my wife would uh, would tell me. Uh, she'd say, you know, Tim, I'd really like to go camping. And uh, I love my dad. My dad's taught me many things. He's given me a heart for God and things. But we, we went camping like once or twice growing up. So he's not a camper. My mom's idea of camping is Motel 6. So, uh, you know, we just didn't do that. And she kept saying, Tim, I'd like to go camping. And I kept putting her off. And so we get to this camp, and they told us before we even got off the bus, you know, you've got to spray uh, uh, mosquito repellent from head to toe because they're really bad over here. And so we got out, and you just see swarms of them. And you, you have to walk through them. You can't walk around them. They're all over. Whenever they uh, needed to play a game outside, they would fog the area for several hours to get the mosquitoes out of the way so they could play the game outside. Uh, never been to a place like that. We were put in the VIP cabin, and, and it wasn't quite done yet. And, and uh, it was the summertime, and we left Sacramento. It was 100 degrees. There in Alaska, it was about 50 degrees and rainy. And I didn't know that uh, I needed my winter pajamas. And, and it was cold. And so what the temperature, the, the, the roof wasn't quite finished yet. And what the temperature was on the outside was what it was on the inside of that cabin. And so when we walked in, there would be about 30, 40 mosquitoes that would just come right into that cabin. Now, mosquitoes don't bother me too much, but they love Megan. Probably because she's so sweet. Uh, but uh, they were eating her up, and I would just spend the next 20, 30 minutes trying to you know, get all these mosquitoes. And, uh, and it, was just, it was frustrating. And uh, we weren't uh, connecting with the, with, uh, with, with, the, uh, uh, with the whole camp and things. And the director, it was just a rough week. It, was, it really was the hardest week I think I've had in evangelism. One of the hardest weeks I've had in evangelism. But I remember, I think it was Monday night. Uh, you know, we had just, we'd been there for several hours. And Megan says to me, hey, Tim, you know that thing about camping? I said, yeah. She says, I'm good now. 
And I'm like, oh, what do you mean? Like, you don't want to go anymore? She's like, nope, this does it. I'm fine. And, uh, and that's the only time we've ever, I guess, went out camping. But, uh, but uh, I, I remember Wednesday, we were able to get off. And Tuesday, I was, I was out in the woods, and I was praying. And I, w- I wasn't really praying. I was complaining to God. I said, God, why do you even have me here? I know of many other evangelists could do a much better job. I mean, I felt like when I was preaching, I was preaching uh, to a wall. I wasn't connecting with the kids. I mean, it just it was a rough time. And I, mean, I just wanted out of there. I wanted to quit. Uh, we were able to get off the campsite that Wednesday. And, and uh, by the way, we were, uh, they, they brought up, they had no electricity. They brought up uh, generators, but the generators weren't uh, working. And I wasn't sure how clean the fourth through sixth grade kids were anyway. And there was no showers that week. Uh, so uh, we were able to get off on Wednesday and, and go to this other place, get showers and get cell phone service. I called my dad and he, he could tell I'm so discouraged. He says, Tim, don't let the... I said, Dad, nothing's happening right now. Nothing's going on in this camp. He says, don't let the devil lie to you like this. He says, he says God must be working or you wouldn't have so much opposition. He says, you probably just can't see it right now. And I thought, you know what? He's right. I probably can't see it right now. That Wednesday night, I preached by faith and preached a simple gospel message. Fourth grade girl, Helen, who, whose parents said, you're not allowed to ever go to church, gave them one time, this one time, to gave her permission to come to camp that week. She had such a sour, hard look on her face. She had these heavy metal rock music group t-shirts that she wore each day. And, and, uh, and she, uh, that Wednesday night, she went to her counselor at the invitation. She said to her counselor, I'm tired of my sin. I'm tired of my life. I want Jesus Christ. Wow, that's pretty good right there. She was able to lead her to Christ the next day. Uh, uh, her count- counselor said, uh, for the first time this week, I saw Helen smile. You know, She had this, this God-sized hole that was in her heart. This, this emptiness that she's trying to fill all kinds of ways. But how is it going to get filled? It's Christ. That's who fills it. Uh, I, I'll, I'll tell you this too. Uh, right after she... I didn't know the whole conversation, but right after... Uh, the service that night, of course, in, in Alaska, it's daylight, 24-7 at that time. And, and so uh, I was by the ping-pong table, and I said, Helen, do you want to play ping-pong? She said, sure. And she had her Bible, and, uh, and, and she uh, puts the Bible, uh, it could either be on the, the rocks and the dirt, or it could be on the ping-pong table. She puts it on the ping-pong table. So we start playing. We're not playing a real game. We're hitting the ball back and forth. Two other kids come up and say, hey, Helen, uh, you know, move your Bible. We want to play, too. And and so I was wondering what she was going to do. She picks up that Bible and she puts that Bible right close to her chest. And it was at that moment that I realized, you know what? I believe she just got saved. And, uh, and we played ping pong. The next game we played was carpet ball, another one-handed game. And that's this right there, that Bible. The next game they played was freeze tag. I've got memories of uh, Helen running with her Bible right close to her chest uh, because the Word of God meant something to her now that she'd come to know Christ as her Savior. You see, it's Christ that gives purpose. It's Christ that fills that emptiness. But then he says, I see loneliness. People are so lonely. Uh, there's a, uh, you can be lonely in a crowd. Even if there's a lot of people there, you can be lonely in a crowd. Uh, what is this loneliness? It's a loneliness for God. We were created for God. And without God, there is a sense of loneliness. He says the third thing I see is guilt. All people have a sense of guilt. It haunts and hounds us, and in the end, it plays havoc with our peace of mind. And yet, Christ can take that guilt away. Uh, and then, the deep-seated insecurity. Martin man clamors for security. Material things are never enough. Uh, the Bible uh, says a man's life consists of not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. 
uh, that deep-seated in- insecurity. He says the final, uh, or he, he says uh, uh, this, uh, this emptiness, this loneliness, this guilt, this deep-seated in- uh, insecurity, everyone around the world has that. And Christ is the answer. We have the answer to all of this. There's so many people right now in Fernley that have a God-sized hole in their heart that only God can fill. Sometimes I pray, Lord, lead me to someone who's longing to be saved. There are people right now in Fernley, Nevada, that are longing to be saved. They don't know what it is. They're trying to find it, but they will not find it until they find Jesus Christ. And so, we've been given this commission to go. And then he says in verse number 20, uh, he has all authority, and he gives us our uh, presence. He says, teaching them to observe all things, whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the world. Amen. Now here God promises that he's going to be with us. What can you do if God goes with you? I mean, David, you think of David and Goliath. Here's Goliath. He's mocking the Israelites and mocking you know, Saul and all of that. And, and David's like, no, God's with me. This, this, this great uh, enemy, this Goliath, he's a defeated foe. Because he, he knew that God was with him. God is with you. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. There's no place we can go that God does not see, that He's not with us. And, and, and sometimes I'll get in a situation, a witnessing situation, and I'll think, boy, I wish I had so-and-so with me. I wish I had this other preacher who's done this studying about this area, because uh, I don't know what to, what to say. And yet God reminds me that I have someone far better than preacher so-and-so. He's with me. <laughs> and at that moment, at that time, I'm up to bat. I'm the one that needs to be giving the gospel to that person. You might say, oh, I wish Pastor Lynn was with me to witness this person. No, you've got someone better than Pastor Lynn. You've got the Holy Spirit. And again, greater is He that is in you than he that is in this world. And so, this book of Matthew, which starts off, uh, Matthew 1.23, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and, and, uh, and uh, bring forth a son that shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. It starts off, God is with us, and it ends, I am with you always. We have His presence. But sometimes we have that sin of unbelief of, of the command, of the power, and of His presence that He's with us. We can walk in, in uh, obedience in this matter. We can walk in boldness in this matter. I'll give you two, two stories, and then I'll be done. Uh, I remember years ago, I was a teenager, about 14 God really got a hold of my heart with soul winning. And uh, I was started knocking on doors every Saturday. And uh, actually, I, I didn't. I was with another guy, uh, Mr. Reinberg. And, and uh, I listened to a message entitled, The Sevenfold Sins of Not Winning Souls. And one of the, the points was, if you love God, you'll witness. You know, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I said, Lord, I love you. Would you give me an opportunity to witness? And, and so the very next day, a guy in our church says, Tim, I want to have some teenagers come with me. Uh, on the bus route and thing, we had a van, uh, the van route to pick up some of the kids on Saturday. We went to knock on some new doors. Would like to come with me? I said, Yeah, I would. And so that day uh, we went out and and uh, we knocked on some doors. And there was a lady that was just so ripe for the gospel, and he led her to Christ. And and I'm like, Wow, that was neat uh, to see her get saved. And and so I started going out every month uh, or every every Saturday with uh, with uh, Dan Reinberg. And and I'm very stubborn. I'm very shy. Uh, at that point, again, that's pride. But uh, Dan Reinberg would ask me almost every door, Tim, you've got this one, right? 
And I would shake my head, no, I'm not doing it. And, uh, and so there were times, I, I feel for him now, uh, you know, that he says, Tim, this is yours. And he'd back away, and the person would open, and my mouth would not. Uh, and I would wait until he would step in and, and uh, you know, introduce ourselves and things. And, and I probably should apologize for that next time I see him. But uh, uh, anyhow, I, you know, I went out all these months with him, and then I was burdened for the teenagers uh, in our school. I said, Pastor Rogers, we need to get other teens out, uh, you know, hitting some doors and so Wednesday after school, about 12 of us went out, and uh, six or five or six went with Pastor Rogers, and the others went with me, and they said, well, who's going to do the talking? And uh, they said, well, Tim's going to do the talking. He knows how to do it. I never had talked at one door in my life, but I'm the one that just told them, you need to come do this. And so now I'm stuck, and I knocked on the first door, and this guy opens up the door, and I said, hi, uh, we're from Faith Baptist, and that was as far as I got, and the guy slammed the door in my face. You know what? And I quit. I gave up, and I've never knocked on another door since. No. You know what the Holy Spirit did? He reminded me of Scripture. Uh, if they reject you, shake the dust off your feet and keep going. And that's why I told the guys, I said, you know what? We're going to shake the dust off our feet. We're going to keep on going. There was a Japanese exchange student that was coming to our church. He was living with a family in our, in our church. And, and, uh, and I was uh, trying to learn Japanese phrases. He really liked basketballs. Who played basketball together? And he's learning English and things. And his English was getting gooder and gooder. And, and, uh, and so... Uh, I remember one Wednesday night, I was just really burdened for his salvation, and, and uh, our youth pastor, uh, Brother Maxwell, wasn't able to make it to the service that night, and so we all had to stay with the adults. We usually would have our own time, and, and so uh, my pastor's preaching, and I'm so burdened for Hidonori Ichiwa, was his name, and so burdened for Hidonori's salvation, I said, Lord, would you please put upon Pastor Rogers' heart to go through the full you know, gospel presentation? And I said, I know it's Wednesday night, but would you please lay it on his heart to do that? And then Pastor Rogers began to give that full gospel uh, presentation. I said, God, I know it's a Wednesday night. We've never done an invitation, a come-forward invitation before, but I pray that you'd put it upon his heart to lead in a come-forward invitation. And, uh, and for the first time, a Wednesday night, we all stood, and he gave a come-forward invitation. And then I said, God, I pray that you would... Uh, that you would have a heater nori go forward, and that somebody else in our church would lead him to Christ. And that was the only prayer I did not get pray get get answered the way I wanted. He didn't budge. The service ended, and I, and God was just you know again ringing my bell. Tim, you're up. I need you to to say something. I said, heater nori, if you were to die today, are you sure you go to heaven? He says, no, I don't. I said, I said, would you like to know? He says, yes, I would. And I then took him to another room, and and we just stood there, and I began to go through the Romans road, and. And my Bible was shaking as I'm talking to him, trying to give him these verses. And uh, it's because my hand was shaking. I was so scared. You know, what if I mess up? I mean, this is eternity. This is heaven and hell. What if I say the wrong things? And, and, uh, and I went through the whole plan of salvation with him. I said, Hedonori, would you like to ask Jesus Christ your Savior? He says, yes, I would. And uh, we, we bowed, and, and uh, he prayed. And, and uh, when he uh, uh, said amen, there was just a glow about him. He had the biggest smile I'd ever had seen. Uh, on his face that next Sunday, he got baptized. Two weeks later, he moved back to Japan. I've lost contact with him. But I remember the day when I got saved. But when God used me to lead that first soul to Christ, there was nothing like it. <laughs> to be able to lead somebody else. And I thought, man, I want to do this again. <laughs> I want to see somebody else come to know Christ as their Savior. Again, some of us probably have led somebody to Christ. But I'm sure that many of us have never led anybody to Christ. You're up. <laughs> Your, your number's being called. This is the time for you to be about the gospel. Now, of course, we plant, uh, you know, we plant the seed, we water it, God gives the increase. 
But, uh, but I believe that as you're faithful, God's going to lead you to somebody that's longing to be saved. My youth pastor, and uh, this is in closing, my youth pastor, um, uh, Brother Maxwell, uh, he did not have a passion for souls, for the lost. And, uh, and I would try, I think he went out one time with me, uh, and I would try to twist his arm as much as I could. I didn't, I didn't understand all the business he had, but, but it just seemed like his passion wasn't there. He uh, moved to Arizona, was a youth pastor of a very large church, had over 100 teenagers, and he was an extremely good youth pastor, uh, just, uh, just excellent. And, and, uh, but the, the, the weakness that I saw was just he didn't have that passion for souls. Well, God gets a hold of his heart in the matter of soul winning. And he uh, begins to pray. He says, God, could you use me to lead one soul to Christ each month of this year? Could you do that? Would you give me someone every month that I can give the gospel to? And he says, I remember one of the parents of the teenagers came to see me. And, and uh, she, uh, she was distraught. And, and he says, uh, if you were to die today, are you sure you go to heaven? She says, no. And he's, oh, she's, he says, how sure are you? And out of a scale of one to ten. And she says, uh, five. Uh, and so he takes out a quarter and he flips it in the air and he says, call it. And she says, heads. And it lands tails. He says, that's not good. And she's like, I know. And, uh, and, she was, and he was able to lead her to Christ. And then the next month, he was able to lead somebody else at the park uh, to Christ. And the next month, he was able to lead somebody else to Christ. In the next five years, this man who, uh, who uh, did not have a great deep passion for souls when I knew him as a teenager, led over 50 people to Christ. And uh, I'm just amazed at what God has done through him. And that is really one of his biggest passions now is to see others to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Maybe you've, you used to have that passion, but now it's died out. Uh, you know, we've gone through this week of meetings, and, uh, and the culmination of it, we should be consumed about with eternity's values in view. We need to be about giving the gospel to others. Warren Wearsby said each local church is one generation short of potential extinction. Curtis Hudson said, the only alternative to soul winning is disobedience to God. Charles Spurgeon said, Jesus died for sinners. Can not we live for them? I think one of my favorite quotes on evangelism or soul winning, Robert Munger said, evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I love that. Being an extrovert isn't essential to evangelism. Obedience and love are. By the way, perfect love casts out fear. Sometimes I get that fear still. Uh, you know, I knock on the door and I pray the soul winner's prayer. Lord, please don't have that door be open. Uh, you know, I don't want to talk to anybody. And uh, you know, you get that fear. You know what? Love, perfect love casts out that fear. Lord, give me a love for the lost. Give me a love for these people. Give me a love for this neighborhood. Uh, all that, that perfect love, it casts out the fear. If the gospel... If your gospel isn't touching others, it hasn't touched you. And uh, another, uh, who needs a call when you have a command? And then uh, one more, churches have lost their heart for evangelism, are living out their final chapter. So how good are you at giving the gospel to others? Being obedient to giving the gospel to others. When's the last time God used you to lead someone to Christ? Again, God gets the increase, but when's the last time you handed out a tract? When's the last time you sowed a seed? When's the last time you prayed for somebody that is lost? If you cannot remember, it's been too long. Go ye therefore, 
Teach all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, the sin of unbelief in His power, in the command, and in His presence that He is with us. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'll pray in a few moments. You say, preacher, God has spoken to my heart. And I have not been obedient to the command to go. It's been a long time since I've been about the Gospel. And I want to get back to having the obedience to that command of Scripture. Would you please pray for me? God has spoken to my heart. Show me that I have been disobedient to this command to go and give the Gospel. And I want to get back to being obedient and giving the gospel to others. Would you please pray for me on that? If that's you, you slip your